Hey, everybody. Welcome to On the Home Front. My name is John Murphy. Very happy to be here on the radio with you. You might be catching us live on WILI AM 1400 or 95.3 Digital FM. We're also on YouTube on the WILI Radio YouTube channel. All of our 5 o'clock shows have playlists there. So if you happen to miss our live broadcast on Wednesdays at 5, you can always catch us anytime on YouTube. And shows are also repeated on WECS, the public radio station uh, at Eastern. Our program today will be in three parts, and we're going to begin with Jean Desmay to have her back in the studio again. Uh, next week begins another season of the Third Thursday Street Fest. We'll also talk with Eastern President Elsa Nunez, and also I had an interview today with Steve Katz, one of the founding members of the Blues Project and Blood, Sweat, and Tears. He's going to be in New, uh, New London next Tuesday night at the Guard with the documentary of the Blood, Sweat, and Tears tour from 1970, Behind the Iron Curtain. So a little bit of history later in the show today as well. Great show coming up. Yeah, wow. so Gene, good to have you back in the house. Oh, thank you for inviting me. A yes. smiling, you're uh, here, smiling. you're smiling. We're, we're all in a big tizzy. Third Thursday's coming, third Thursday's coming. Next week. Next week. That's awesome. <laughs> so before we get into the story, are there any immediate needs you have at the last minute for volunteers or help to plan ahead? Because I had you here in the wintertime. Yes, we can always use volunteers the day of that's really what our biggest need is right now the day of the day of um so you know we can put a lot of people to work just but go to the information tent area information tent right? or if you go to info at willimannickstreetfest.com <clears throat> that would be great okay um, we'll know you're coming yeah. but uh you know like serving beer things oh, like yeah. that you know they're it pleasurable it all adds up we're not think Thank the Public Works Department. We're not hauling tables and chairs anymore. I feel like I've retired. Wow. I thought that was my part-time occupation. Well, you're career. saving your spine. <laughs> I saw you sometimes. It was a heavy lift some days. Uh, yeah, it just gets tiring, but it's, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's not too bad. Yeah. So that's all good for us. Nice to have the town helping out there. So folks know about the fest now. Uh, how many years? Tell me, 28? No. 20. 20. 20. I'm a little too enthusiastic on that. 20 years. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's an all-day fest from 6 to 9. I shouldn't say all day, but it's 6 to 9 at night. They shut down the streets in downtown Willie. Uh, can you preview some of the music underway? What's going to happen with the, all okay. the different stages this year? <clears throat> yes. So There are um, many stages. There are. We're not opening the street as far as we did um, last year all the way because we were hoping for better financing for one reason. Right. Um, so the way uptown section is not going to be open at least in May. It's a okay. very good chance for, for June, though. We're on our way. Right. Um, Just start. <clears throat> but uptown, which is in front of Eminence, Inc., um, there's the band Goza, and mm -hmm. you've probably heard them if you've come to the Street Fest before. Yeah. They do a lot of great Latin music, and um, they're doing good. a whole set there. And we're going to have some classical guitar from Dawn Swick. Swilica, C-W, well, who knows how to say that word. I know. Too many consonants. <laughs> it breaks me up. You know, I am a little bit Eastern European. I should know those words. but <laughs> So Dawn is, is joining us again, and, and she's great. Um, Midtown, we're going to have, um, well, actually, I should say at Bank Street, um, act performing players you know arts magnet school oh, wonderful. they, they yeah. perform three times a, a season for us and it's so much fun they get like you know 20 30 kids out there they dancing work really hard and yeah. singing and it's really quite the performance so they'll be on bank street they get the whole street to themselves um and then 
we're kicking off the down the midtown section, which is the beer garden with Bruce John. Oh, that's a wonderful way to start the year. Yeah. Wonderful for Bruce. Yeah, yeah. Dino- and his dinosaurs after dark, okay. which is all the old farts apparently. But they will not be in costume. I think the <laughs> no, no, I think the dinosaur no, thing is the uh, after dark dinosaurs are not dressed up like brontosaurus. There you go. That's a great <laughs> send off. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. And then we're having another band which I don't know, but it's classic rock, and it's called Sweet Magic. So that's another one. Midtown, so stop in and buy a beer, please. Um, Downtown Stage is going to be two bands, which I don't really know either one. So this is part of the excitement of the fest to me because I get to to see new people. One is called Mischief, and the other one is Dumb Love. That's got potential. That's got potential, right. Or there's a hit single in there somewhere. (laughs) Oh, we've been there. (laughs) Hopefully not too many times, right? You learn. (laughs) That's right. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. (laughs) We hope, right. Yeah. Anyhow, so that's really the musical lineup, and um, it's exciting, and I'm sure it's always great. Elisa does such a great job of booking these. We have um, somebody do all the booking for us. And we should take a moment to acknowledge people making it possible, any new sponsors, new changes, people helping you to pull this off this year. Well, There's a lot of people behind this. There are a lot of people behind this. Um, But one of the things that's making it possible is the Pajot um, Foundation Trust. Yes. Um, So the Leo and Rose Pajot Trust, uh, they have given us a $10,000 grant, which we're trying to match. So... um, if you go to info at well, or if you go to willamanicstreetfest.com, uh-huh. that's the website, and hopefully on there you can find <laughs> where to donate money because we need it. And so it's just like you know, twenty dollars is great. It's going to be forty to us. So whatever you matched, can, whatever yeah. you can do is yeah. is what we need. And I've really we've always focused on we want lots of small donors because mm-hmm. that's what it's about to us. Is like this is a festival for the people. That's right. And so the people need to say, yeah, it is us to do it. And and it's, you know, hard to always keep repeating that, but I run into people all the time who think the town is putting on the street fest. And they might like, assume that, you know. Yeah, it's an assumption, and I and won't say that the town helps, but right. they don't actually do the production. Right. And they, they do, they're doing some, I will mention them as a new sponsor this year. That's so wonderful. they just passed the budget last night. Which included it some, passed. some yes, <laughs> and included some funding for the street fest for the very first time. So we thank town manager Jim that. Rivers for that. Very nice. And um, yeah, so they are a sponsor this time, but it's not like it's it's a free event that the town's paying for. We have yeah. to raise all the funds for all the bands yeah. and everything else. And and it's really about a community event that the community needs to step up and support. And one way you can do that is to get your street fest button. There you go. Yes. I should have worn mine from last year. I forgot to. I have to hold it closer to the microphone. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, you buy the button. That's a little contribution. Yes. Because if a lot of people do it, that's all they need. Right. It that's works a, that a way. a little $5 contribution. Yeah. And it gets you a discount in the beer garden. Yeah. What do you think the biggest change has been? In, like 20 years, you were there in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I know other yeah. towns are, you know, like Putnam has stopped at series this year. I was surprised. Yes. They're doing a few events, but they're not doing the Fridays. Fridays, yeah. I, I was looking for I think partly economic, partly I think volunteers, a lot of factors. Some people are really sad about that. Yeah. Because that was hopping up there on Fridays. Yeah, I knew one of the organizers. I haven't talked to yeah. her, but I was surprised. We wish them well. But, uh, yeah. 
Can you take us back to the early times in Willie? Because a lot of people around now weren't there then to know what it was like to pull this off when it was very different. You're absolutely right, John. Our community changes a lot, and it it's does. really interesting. And, um, so, yeah, it's always exciting to have new people there. And, and uh, as we're getting older, John, uh -oh. I'm working in the beer garden, and I don't know all the customers. <laughs> uh, you used to know everybody. I used to know everybody. I'm like, yeah. who are these people? Where are they coming from? So I started asking them, and they're coming from all over the region. Yeah. They're not, you sometimes when it first started, certainly, it was a Willimantic event, mm -hmm. right? It's true. And now we're drawing from the whole eastern Connecticut easily. Yeah. There were times 10 years ago, maybe, probably longer, 15 years ago, where this was such a unique event mm -hmm. that it was promoted like in Boston and New York. Yep. And people would come down and say, this is so great, and it still is so great for the same reasons. This is homey. It you is. Know, this is you not know, glitzy. Um, it's yeah. kind of like the Shabu stage. You had the yeah. club in its heyday, a real landmark, a cultural icon, and here it is reincarnated as mm -hmm. a stage that everybody can use now. Yeah. Big shows, small, small shows. shows. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. so, so that when we first started, I remember the, first, the very first one was um, interesting because we were setting vendors up in the streets because it wasn't a crowded fest like it is now, right? It's the first one. That's we right. were putting the vendors in the street and we're setting, we're, we're telling them set up in the street and they're looking at us like, what are you, crazy? No, really. No one had ever walked down the middle of the main street before and right. set up a booth because this maybe was the first. Maybe for a parade, right? But that was it. Yeah, Nothing. maybe. Yeah, you just walked on the parade and that was it. So I'm telling them, yes, no, sit right here in the middle of the line. And they're like, are you sure? I'm like, yes, yes, we're not going to get run over. And the same with the people. They just want to walk on the sidewalks. We're like, no, no, this is a street fest. Come yeah. on in. Yeah. So, you know, maybe we had, oh, I don't know, 500 people the first time. And I remember... This is sour grapes, but I'm going to do it anyway. The, the economic development coordinator at the, coordinator at the time said, well, they'll probably get 50 people. So oh. we were pretty proud to have 500 or so. Sure. 20 in, years ago? In Absolutely. June, we had 1,000. In July, we had 2,000. In Same. August, we had more than that. It, it just exploded. Yep. And that's the power of um, not only media, but word, word of mouth communication and people talking to each other. It's just like, and wow. you know, <laughs> if you offer something real, people will mm. respond because yeah. there's not a lot of hype behind it, yes. behind having a good time. No one's making a lot of money. No. It's just getting together, shutting down. And so the police are fantastic to close yeah. the traffic. All the public yep. safety people yes, are there. They're very helpful. So nobody has to worry. And now it's dog friendly, which some people love. Uh, a lot I of people say, say don't say dog friendly. Oh, yes, really? Yes, yes, Well, the yes, cat's out of the bag. The See my bad joke? The we're cat's not, out of the bag? We're, we're not sorry. dog unfriendly. We, we put water out for the dogs. I know. Some people do. <laughs> I know. Well, uh, you know, not everybody yeah. is responsible with this their dogs. This is exactly right. But most people are, yeah. by God. Anyway, I won't it say is, that it again. It is a challenge, and I, I've had All to right. ask people to leave because their dogs, even yeah. it happens with kids, too, yep. <laughs> probably adults. Yeah. They get so excited. There's so many people around. I wouldn't bring my dog there. Yeah. She'd go insane. She wants to say hello to, you know, 5,000 people. Yeah, no too people much stimulation, actually. <laughs> too much stimulation. Yeah, yeah. So I won't mention that again, but uh, I know it does come up once in a while. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. There's no yeah. ban. You can't ban them. Um, 
we we ban bicycles on the in the streets. We ask you to come on your bicycle. That's fantastic. Uh-huh. But um, we ban uh-huh. you from riding it in the street. Well, good luck with that ban too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, if somebody is involved with music, is the program for the season fixed, or if they contact somebody, can they still figure out maybe for August or September? Planning ahead. Um, possibly. You know, we can squeeze in um, performers in certain areas uh-huh. where. Um, like a, a duet or a solo. So there's a break on every stage for That's 50, right. 15 minutes where they switch bands. Mm-hmm. So if you're willing to just come and, and play your harmonica or your saxophone or whatever. Something solo. Solo, you can have a mic and, and perform on the stage. We're happy to do that. We love it. And then there's Bank Street, which you'd have to bring your own sound equipment, but we can make room for, um, this is for free music really of course yeah. yeah so i guess if they went to the website they could take care of that yeah. in terms of finding yes, out what yes, to do yes yes it says where to register as an entertainer yeah. and a vendor that's right that's also important too we have a lot of new food vendors mm. uh there's a lot of small businesses trying to get started here in town yeah, yeah. so the website is willamannickstreetfest.com and they also have a map there that can show you where people are generally it's it uses color nicely by the way Oh, it's pretty you. cool. Okay, good to hear that. Yeah, WillimanicStreetFest.com. Yeah. And for volunteering, just show up each time at the information tent would be the best way to do that. Yeah, or, or sign up online because it says vol- how to volunteer. So it's uh, info at WillimanicStreetFest.com. But, yeah, 20 food vendors now. So wow. make sure when you come you're hungry because there's a lot of new food vendors. Click has been helping out. Chelsea is, works at Click, and she is just like, Bringing yeah. them in. Farms. Our very yeah. first street fest, we wanted farmers. And, you know, it was before there were all these local farmers. And and there was just really nobody willing to even wow. try it. And there was there only a go. couple of farmers to ask. And now we're getting um, meats, eggs, jam, bouquets, yeah. flowers, and then the usual fudge and things like that. So it's going to be pretty cool. You got the farmer's market. You have some restaurants doing farm to table with yeah. local seasonal food that's available, that's mm-hmm. fresh, and not yeah. from across the country, you know, locally grown. And go to our local restaurants. So you haven't yeah. been to Trigo Pizza yet, maybe, and you want to try this out for sure. I've heard good things about yeah. that. Yeah, and I'm do it Stone Row in two minutes, John. So Okay. <laughs> I feel the pull. I feel the pull. I feel the pull right now. Andy's got a hell of a place over there. Yeah, yeah. It's beautiful. But definitely go to the downtown to food stores or restaurants, sit down, have a drink, um, go to Hot Shots and have a beer. <laughs> there you go. But don't bring your dog in the beer, don't please. Don't bring your dog. There you go. Yeah, yeah. but check out the website. Everything's on there. All the, food, all the vendors are on there. All the food vendors are on there. There's yeah. a map on there. You can see where on the Street Fest they are. Um, we're looking forward to getting started. Thank you to Erin, who's doing the coordination for me, so yes. that I had to do some homework to find out what was going on. Yay! Yeah. Well, see, you've created something that's got legs. It has a life of its own now. Yeah. It's coming on. Yeah. And it starts on May 18th, and it goes through September. And we'll talk to have, maybe have people back in June each month about the music for the month. That would be great. Do little updates. And look at, I'm looking across the street behind your back, John. Connecticut State Community College. My only thing on my list of things to do that I must do on Thursday is I want to go to QVCC and see their new quarters. There you go. Elkin was on the radio this morning talking about it, and I'm like, yes. They should have a table out there. I'm so glad they're happy. They'll be be tabling, and they're doing opening up to everybody. I'm so happy they're here. 
Well, Jean, thanks for everything you've done for so long. For you know. No, yes, it, you're welcome. It, it's a pleasure. You know that it's a it pleasure because it is. You give and people, you get back in tenfold or hundredfold. Absolutely. That's the equation. Thank yes. you very much. Okay. Thank you. All righty. So that's third Thursdays through September. So we'll take a short break and come back, and we're going to have the second part of the show with President Elsa Nunez from Eastern Connecticut State University. Stay with us. All righty. We're back live on the home front here on WILI. Uh, for the third part of the show coming up, we're going to have a conversation with Steve Katz from Blood, Sweat, and Tears and the Blues Project. He's been making music for decades now, but he is on tour right now with a new documentary, What the Hell Happened to Blood, Sweat, and Tears? It's about their tour in 1970 behind the Iron Curtain in Yugoslavia, Romania, and Poland. But it's got the band doing some all-star concerts at the time, so it's a great story. He's going to be there live doing a Q&A, and we'll talk with Steve after this segment. Right now, we're going to continue with President Elsa Nunez from Eastern Connecticut State University. I had a chance to talk with her recently, and this is a replay of our conversation. Enjoy. And I'm very honored to open the show today with President Elsa Nunez from the Eastern Connecticut State University. It's wonderful to have you in the studio, Elsa. Thanks oh, for being John, here. Oh, John, thank you for inviting me. It's always a pleasure. It thank is you. always a pleasure. Quite a few over the years. <laughs> so we have some time, and we'll try to get through as much as we can. But we want to give uh, Dr. Nunez time to give some answers and kind of give you more context. We're in the middle of the budget session, so all the budgetary things are in flux right now. There's nothing really settled. But I thought one thing that uh, President Nunez could do is to kind of frame our budget at Eastern with the larger system, which is going through changes of priorities, community colleges, how the CSU system works. And I know they're looking at kind of redesigning a lot of long-standing relationships. Mm -hmm. So can you give us a little crystallized view of how things are in this year? Yes, John. I appreciate the question because it's been in the news. You know, people are, you know, talking about it, debating the budget, and there's many perspectives. But let's start off with Eastern's budget. 18 years I've been president. Right. And we've had a balanced budget every single year. And that's a wonderful tribute to the community, the faculties and staff, my administrators who always, you know, everybody's on the frugal side. We don't spend what we don't have. So this community should be very proud of that. So the system is composed of 17 what I call units, 12 community colleges, four state universities, and you know that's Southern, Central, Western, and Eastern, and one uh, online entity called Charter Oak. Each of us has our own budgets. The story is that not each of these units is has had a balanced budget. So that's what you're reading about in the media, for example, uh, reading about and hearing about it in the media. And that is that Western and Southern are having challenges with their budgets. And that, uh, to be quite honest, never happens one for one year. It's over time that sure. you slip, 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 spend, 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 and then here, here you are with some budget challenges. Eastern as small as it is, has about $33 million in reserves. And that's what you and I would put away in our savings account in case the furnace broke at home or right. the roof needed fixing. So I've done the same thing. If there's a tornado in Willimantic, if there's flooding and I have to repair something, I've got that money set aside so that it doesn't interfere with the student's education. So now what has happened is that over time, the, the um, governor and the Office of uh, Policy and Management 
management have given um, uh, resources to, of course, to the workforce. And that, I mean, in terms of raises. And those raises are, people are entitled to them. They've worked very hard. You mean the state employee system. The state employee okay. system. Right. But when they negotiate those increases, we then get the bill at Eastern. We don't negotiate what Eastern's faculty or staff are going to get. The, the governor's office and the uh, OPM negotiates that, and then we're sent the bill. So those incremental costs, like inflation, mm-hmm. uh, wage increases, um, uh, things that um, we have no control over, energy for example, costs, energy costs yeah. skyrocketing and sure. other costs skyrocketing, goods are now you know at a prime and they're scarce. So all of those costs, if you add it up, are 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 difficult to cover if unless you get an increase in the budget and that's where we are today so the the audience has heard that the legislature is debating whether to lift the spending cap connecticut has a spending cap and the governor's position which i respect is we're not going to lift the spending cap however there are organizations in willimantic that are nonprofits like horizons and others which have asked for increases for example they've asked for a 7% increase in their budget, and they've gotten a 1% increase uh, in their budget, the proposed 1% increase. And they're saying, no, we want 7 or 8 so we can give our workers increases. And so what has happened is, for nonprofits and for higher education, we're not getting the increases that we think we need in order to balance future budgets. So for next year, I think I can manage it, but for the following year, 25, the shortfall is about $17 million for Eastern. And that's huge. And that's right now why we're trying to get everybody's attention and say, please stop, you know, look at these numbers. This isn't that Eastern has spent money needlessly or that we're not well managed. We've had a balanced budget, as I said, every year we have reserves and we will use some of those reserves for for next year and for the next year, uh, the year to follow. So what I say is, please don't let force us to cut services to students. The students deserve the shuttle bus. They deserve tutoring. They deserve supplemental instruction. They deserve good facilities that are clean and accessible to people with disabilities. So we can't do that if the budget isn't at the level that it should be. And so I want to take this opportunity to thank all the taxpayers because you realize that a fancy liberal arts college today, a private one, cost about $82,000 a year. Eastern All In is about 27000 and change. That's with room and board and tuition. That's that's a, a wonderful price point, and that's because taxpayers, we get money from the state through the taxes that you pay and that you and I pay. And I want to thank all the taxpayers because I think in this world where we want a great democracy, you have to have access to higher education for everybody, not just the privileged people born into fancy families. No. If your mother cleans toilets, you should be able to go to college and get a first-class education. And that's really what Eastern's about. It's a public university, and we're very proud of the public, and it's a liberal arts university, which is public, and that's a rarity to have a public liberal arts college in, in a state. 
Now, you know, there's one more aspect of the budget thing that's in the papers that people will debate, and it's confusing, is the surplus versus the spending cap. Yes. Because the cap has come and gone over the years. It's been adjusted, but they have it set now. And the debate is, we do have an existing surplus that some people say we should always save for a rainy day. Some say, well, we should use some of it now, because some of these unmet needs that uh, uh, Elsa was talking about are sitting there on the table. So there's a tension for yeah, that. Yeah, there's a tension. And there's, you know, there you can make the argument either way. Don't, you know, we do that at home, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. we're not going to buy that because that's not a necessity. That's a luxury. Right, and we, right. we look at our list of things. And, and that's what's happening. People are saying, no, we don't want to use the, the surplus now. We just want to put it away for a, a, a situation where Connecticut would, would need it. But, but on the other hand, you say, okay, so if you don't do deferred, if you don't take a, uh, pay attention to deferred maintenance at Eastern, and I'll speak to Eastern alone because that's what I know best. All right, so now we've got buckets in the hallways because the ceiling is dripping because the roof is broken and we haven't fixed it. Then you've got, you know, deterioration in the in the structure of the building because there's water damage all through the building. Then you've got um, concrete breaking, which is dangerous. Then you've got electrical that needs to be fixed and on and on and on. So these things, even though you shouldn't, you may not want to spend your little extra money, you're going to have to. You're going to have to, or otherwise you're going to have a, a, a university that the taxpayer is going to say, I don't want my son or daughter or grandson or grandson going there. It's a dump, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, over time, and people have to deal with that. Yeah, yeah. Infrastructure is infrastructure. It's costly. Now, something else, you know, there's been so much research on across the country. New England has a disproportionate number of schools, a large number of colleges. And as you know, the demographics, the numbers are going down, although there are historic cycles. But when the number of students is down with many, many schools, this is a stress everywhere, private, public. Uh, so when you try to plan ahead and anticipate the changing numbers. Mm -hmm. How do you anticipate core needs that you know have to be met all the time? And then what areas may have to be deferred or wait until you have more demonstrated need to justify the resources when you want to do it that way? Yeah, that's such a good question. My philosophy and my uh, uh, chief financial officer, uh, Jim Howarth, who's been a phenomenal colleague, and uh, he is so, so, he's been with me for 12 years and he knows the budget inside out and works with me on all these numbers we are very conservative and I use that word meaning conservative so when we project for next year instead of saying oh we're gonna have more students than we need and we're gonna have thousands coming we don't do that we say what's the what's the minimum that we think we're gonna have and we base it on that the budget on that lower number and then if we get extra students that's gravy you know, right. and then we, we have that money and we can spend it on, on different things. But it's conservative budgeting that has helped us through the years, as I said, get, get to a place where we have a balanced budget. I think people often stretch. And, and so when they're doing their projections, they say, well, we're going to get money from here, money from there. And those are wish lists. They're not solid. And when you build a budget on soft ground, it's going to be a soft budget. Yeah. By the way, if you're listening to us on the radio right now, we're having a conversation today with Eastern President Elsa Nunez, and we're covering the budget and other things at Eastern. One thing you and I were talking about before that I want to include is, as you look at higher education with all the schools, the whole idea of liberal arts is 
not as common as you might think. There is a huge focus on technology, and people are looking at industrial growth and all the all the benefits of technology. So you have lots of STEM, but there's also something called STEAM, which integrates the arts and humanities in technology about what is it for, who is it serving. So I guess my broad question is, when you look at the horizon of the very obvious need for technological growth, and all of our social issues are showing that we have a real issue of values mm-hmm. and purposes and accountabilities, how do you integrate that in a liberal arts program that includes like health sciences, a new nursing program, lots mm-hmm. of hard science, mm-hmm. but the application side, yeah. not just the theory? Yeah. Well, you have, I think, the, the those of you who remember the GI Bill, when we said these mostly men have fought for our country, let them get a discounted higher education. For the most part, it was free. And what a wonderful thing that was for those those men coming home. And uh, they, they benefited from that. And in those days, higher education, a college education was a public good. People believed that you got a college education and then you went out and you did some good in the world. So taxpayers said, I'll pay for that because all these people are going to do good in the world. And that's flipped. Today, the public doesn't see higher education as a public good. They see it as an individual good. It's good for you, John. It's good for Elsa. But I'm not so sure it's good for the public. And so if you go back in time, Harvard College was the first liberal arts college created in the country. And white men went to Harvard College. And what did they study? They studied music, philosophy, mathematics, religion. And those are what we call in Latin artes liberales, the liberal arts. The word liberal today, people think it's political. It's not, has nothing to do with politics. Liberal arts has to do with the arts. And so the Harvard men graduated and they knew each other. So they had a circle of men that they knew that were doctors, lawyers, financiers. And so they had a leg up in society. No, no private liberal, they were not enough uh, private liberal colleges to really go around in this country because they're small and they take in few students. And so public liberal arts colleges were created and Eastern is a public liberal arts college. There's only one in the state of Connecticut and all states that have them only have one and we're proud to have that designation. So when I go to the accounting banquet, I say to my students, we don't graduate accountants at Eastern and people look at me funny. And then I say, we graduate liberally educated people who happen to be accountants. And they stop their feet. They're so happy. I said, because you can talk about the conflict in the Middle East, the role of religion in this country, the climate actions that we should be taking to cut back on the climate, you know, uh, issues that we're dealing with. And this education of a liberal arts is an intellectual education that gets you to think critically and to think systematically and to argue uh, with both sides, you know, one on the left, one on the right. But I don't mean politically. I just mean the weight of both. Uh, listening to other people's opinions, speaking clearly, understanding fact from fiction, and under, using facts in your argumentation. All of that is, is critical in a liberal arts education. If you take all that 
and and you give that to a person who wants to be an accountant, they're a different person yeah. because it's not just about the tech, you know, the technical point of being an accountant. That's great that they know that, but they're they're citizens of a democracy, so they can do other things in our society. They can participate in other ways. The same thing with people in technology. Yes, it's wonderful that you know every software available and and you know the technology uh, behind the or the hardware behind um, systems. That's all interesting, but that's not what makes you a whole person. You're going to have to vote. You're going to have to um, think critically about issues in our society. You're going to have a family, and you want to think critically about the education of your children, right. about right. the role of your church if you go to church, or the role of the uh, the, the religious uh, affiliation you have in your community, uh, the, the issues that are complicated, like homelessness right now, uh, issues of climate. All of those things take people who are intellectually developed to discuss them and debate them in a fair and even-handed way. And I think that's why I always argue, of course you can be a technician. Of course you you should major in in those things. Those are important. We need those those jobs and those careers. But why can't a person have both? And you can have both in a liberal education, and that's what we give at Eastern. And I think if you ask our students, they can articulate very clearly what being liberally educated means to them. I think they see themselves as more complex thinkers in many ways. Well, the world has changed so much, and unlike 20 years ago, they have more information available to do their own research, to check out their own information on their own. So that gives them more power at every level of inquiry, right? Yeah, but they've got to sort through that information. Yeah, that's right. And so you have to know what's fact and what's fiction, and you have to be able to discern that. Now, we have about 10 minutes to go, and one thing I want to do is shift our gears slightly to make use of our time and to talk to parents out there or folks in high school who are thinking about colleges maybe one or two years down the line because the whole environment is shifting as we've been talking financially, what courses are being offered where. This is all kind of being realigned right now. So maybe some advice for parents who are looking ahead to this space and they want to be smart and plan ahead and not do it last minute. Yeah. Well, at Eastern, you can come as a commuter if you're local. You know, we still have many commuter students, and that's an option. But we do have the majority of the students living on campus. And we want the students to have a full, just a full college experience. That's not just the academic, but the social. It's very important for issues of mental health, that they participate in things, that they grow, and that they make friendships, and that they establish uh, relationships with people that they trust and respect. So it's not always your mother and father that you can talk to. So they're they're having these relationships on campus with uh, other students, sometimes with faculty or staff, are critical to the the college education. And so what we have at Eastern is a full array of support services for students. You know, you can get tutoring, you can get supplemental instruction. Supplemental instruction is when they reteach the course, when the faculty member may be a little bit too strict or too, you know, not communicating as clearly as the students would like, we reteach the material to the student. Um, We also have six uh, mental health professionals, uh, psychological counselors there. So if there are issues, and you know for this generation there are sometimes issues that they they need to work through, we have that support service. We have a fantastic array. I think it's 110 clubs and organizations. Some of them are religious, some of them are academic, like the political science club, 
club. The math Some club. of them are the math club. Some of them are social, like the dance troupe. Uh, some of them are more um, giving in the community, like Best Buddies, in which they help people with developmental disabilities. But among those hundred clubs and organizations, a student connects to people. And they connect to people with their values and their interest. And so over time, for four years, you're hanging out with these folks, you're going to class, and you're having a full experience that's social, psychologically, and academically sound. And we believe that you have to educate the full student. It's not just about what happens in the classroom. You know we're ranked in U.S. News and World Report. We're number one in New England. In in the uh, U.S. News and World Report, they break up the country into four quadrants, mm -hmm. and the North goes from Maryland all the way up to Canada, across to Pennsylvania. And you know how saturated that is, John, Love with you. colleges and universities. We rank number 16 among the publics. So, you know, parents have to listen to that. That means you're going to get a quality education for a very good price point. Yeah. And maybe there's one last question I want to ask, and that's a real delicate one because it can become politically critical for some people. But I have to have full disclosure. I've been a part-time teacher at Eastern 40 years. This is my 40th year because I love teaching there, and I love the program and the liberal arts aspect of my media teaching. But the reason why I bring it up is that since 40 years, I've seen incredible changes in students coming into school. And you've had 18 years at the helm at Eastern at a much higher level of much more students. And I've seen them coming in more stressed and sometimes less capable than they used to be. So what I'm trying to delicately do to, to not criticize local high schools is sometimes parents and voters don't like to fund local high schools. Local education is often a debate. And what happens when you don't support your local high schools, when they graduate and they come to Eastern, Eastern has to help them catch up. And that's a lot of work to it's help people. So when they graduate, they're still ready to go. But some of that is energy that could be used elsewhere. Yeah. So I'm not trying to criticize schools, but letting parents know, look, you've got to support your school budgets. They need to do the job so that when they get to Eastern, they can maximize. Yeah. You know, you I'm trying to put it the right way. Yeah, and I think that's such a good point, John. And you have to monitor the achievement gap. Is there an achievement gap? With, um, is your son or daughter um, not doing as well in mathematics as they should or in English, whatever it is? Because if you get after that and close that achievement gap while they're in high school, they're going to do much better in college. If they graduate with that achievement gap, when they get to college, you know, they're going to be D and C students because they've got such a far reach yeah. because it's hard. College is demanding. Yeah. And so I think you're right that uh, you don't want to blame the schools. No, I think no, the schools, no. the teachers are fabulous. I think the schools, you know, often don't have the right resources. And so to your point, we should support the local schools in whatever way we can. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe since... We could close on a nice, optimistic note. 18 I would years like of that. <laughs> well, you know, because you go back to the session and there's still a lot of clouds in the sky. Yeah. Uh, but when you look at 18 years of service, what is the thing that surprised you? That when you got here, you had a vision, you thought, well, here's what I'm going to get into. And now you've had 18 years of living in our region. What is one of the nicest surprises for you that well, you didn't expect? Well, I taught English. I was a professor of English before I became president. And and I knew this in the classroom because I always learned from my students. But I had no idea, no idea how inspirational the students would be in my life. 
and that that I I'll cherish that till the day I die. They are so smart and so committed to issues of climate right now and equity and social justice, and they believe passionately. And you know, people poo-poo this generation and say, "Oh, you know, let they don't do this, they don't do that." I don't do that. I find them very for the things that they believe in. They are very motivated, and they have been a source of inspiration for me. Much of the work I have done has been difficult, but I must tell you, when I focus on the students and their inspiration, it makes it much easier. And so I, I, I have to thank them for that. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing some time with us as this year comes to a close. And we'll try to get you back at the end of the year to see how things came out after the session. Everything yeah. settles down. And as schools are retooling and readapting, we'll see how things are going. And if people in the audience pray, pray that I get my budget. Yeah, we'll, we'll find out within a month or so. <laughs> That's we'll know, right, right? Thank okay. you. Well, thank you again it's so much. It's a pleasure. Okay, my thanks again to Eastern President Elsa Nunez for sharing that great conversation last week. I'm happy to share it one more time. You know, many of our programs here on WILI here, the, the ones that I do on the home front, some of those segments are repeated on WECS on Wednesdays between 12 and 3 to give extra exposure to our guests. And, of course, they're always on the YouTube channel for WILI Radio. Well, our next segment is about some music history that's been restored. It's a documentary that's going to be screened next Tuesday. That is going to be uh, the 16th of May at 7.30 at the Guard Theater in New London. It's about the band Blood, Sweat, and Tears in a very historic time. Uh, the documentary is called What the Hell Happened to Blood, Sweat, and Tears. In 1970, the U.S. State Department sent them behind the Iron Curtain as the first American rock band to play in Yugoslavia, Romania, and Poland. My conversation that you're about to hear is with Steve Katz, one of the founding members. He'll talk about their travels abroad, what it was like to be followed like spies by the Soviets, and their travel as well. This was a big time for the band. They had multiple Grammy Awards. They had one album of the year, and the U.S. State Department and sent them to the Iron Curtain to bring American music abroad. So we're going to start with the conversation with Steve that I had earlier today on WECS, but this is an edited segment. He's going to talk about how they found the lost footage to make the documentary. Uh, how did you discover that the footage of this concert tour was not lost because you were a State Department tour? Oh, I don't, you know, it, I, I, John Scheinfeld, the director, uh, he not only directed the movie and did a wonderful job, but he was also the, the uh, detective. And um, he and his staff somehow found, just when they were about to give up, they, they found in an archive, I think it was in, um, in Arkansas, I'm not sure, maybe that was the audio tracks or, or out in Hollywood, and they, they found it in, the, in, in some archive, and they were about to throw it out, you know, or just get rid of it. And uh, he found a, a first-generation copy of the film. And um, it, it, that's just amazing. And that, that really helped him make the film. You know, aside from that, there were the interviews that, uh, that we all gave him. So can you talk a little bit about what it felt to be behind the dreaded Iron Curtain, the, the alien world that we only heard about but never saw? Well, it was awful. I mean, it was, uh, it was awful, and it was sort of funny at the same time. Because, like, R Romania, we flew into Romania, and as soon as we got off the plane, it felt like we, were, we just got, off, got into a black-and-white movie from the 30s, you know, where, where it was like spy versus spy, you know, where, the, where these people were, where the, the government people followed us around with, like, a newspaper with a hole in it, you know, so they can spy on us, and it was just funny. And, uh, but, it was, but, you, but you saw what, what, 
it was funny for us because we were going to leave. You know, we, we could always go in and, and leave. But right. the people that lived under this authoritarian rule, under Ceausescu, which was really, he was really a horrible authoritarian. And um, we saw how, how sad their lives were. And, uh, yeah, it was incredible, you know, to see, uh, to, to, to get onto a plane and, or get off a plane and see like, a, you know, a hundred MiGs on the, uh, on the runway, you know, parked on, you know, a hundred Russian planes. And, and, uh, it was just, uh, it was pretty incredible. You know, but was, uh, we, we went over there, especially myself, you know, I, I, I didn't want to go. I didn't want to do the trip for, for political reasons because, you know, they 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 basically blackmailed us into going because they were going to get rid of David, uh, our lead singer, you know, and take away his his visa. But when we went there, I was I was glad to be there, although it was very difficult. And uh, you know, because you could see that life was very difficult, and we were we weren't treated great, like in Romania. In fact, we got kicked out. But uh, I came back thinking, boy, this is uh, you know as 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 many problems as we have in America with the Nixon administration, certainly with the war in Vietnam, with uh, you know, racism and stuff like that. Or, uh, I said this is nothing compared to what these people have to suffer through with these authoritarian governments. And of course, we got killed for that. You know, we got criticized for it, and we we were like between a rock and a hard place, and uh, you know that that really hurt us. But we had no choice. We, we either do that or they got rid of our singer. Right, David Clayton Thomas. Uh, because from the story and the accounts I was reading in the press releases that some people on the right were calling you communists for going over there and supporting them, supposedly. And the other side thought you were puppets of Nixon yeah. and that you were doing, you know, like trying, uh, trying to put a nice face on a horrible war. We were in a lose-lose situation yeah. and there was nothing we can do about it. Right. But the big question, and I'm most curious, how about the people, though, the people that were in the audience? They were great. And uh, the, the, the people in, uh, in, in all three countries were wonderful, especially Romania and Poland, but especially Romania. Um, one thing about the movie that, I re that really was, moved me, and there were a lot of things that were new for me, because they interviewed some of the people now that were in the audience then. Um, and uh, they were saying that, that, that we brought a kind of freedom to them that they've never seen before. And they were hoping that we would help ignite uh, the same kind of protests that they that, that were happening in Czechoslovakia at the time with the student protests, and um, and we we I, I realized you know like how much how meaningful our performances were, and we played great over there. I mean that was another surprising thing was how good we sounded over there, but uh, yeah the the, pe the people were they obviously hated their authoritarian governments. Um, they thought of us as as uh, as as freedom, as you know. They kept saying USA, USA, you know, and uh, yeah. and uh, it was it was an incredible emotional experience, you know. To, and to relive it after fifty three years, then watching this movie was an incredible experience. The movie comes off like a thriller. I mean, it's really pretty amazing to relive that and to and to hear uh, witnesses talk about it. It's very, very was very moving. It almost brought me to tears when I. When I watched it, because I didn't know, I wasn't that close to the audience. Although we hung out with, as, as with local people as much as we could, but sure. but uh, they were they were really moved by our performance. And in that sense, we represented American music, but not a, not the not not the Nixon administration. Nobody right. cared about that. But we really represented you know free music, jazz, you know, and and, and freedom. Um, 
well, we what we did in Romania was, you know, we uh, as when you see the film, we had two concerts in Bucharest, and the first one, um, we went over great. You know, people went nuts for us, and that's what they the government didn't like, so they gave us a, a bunch of demands for the next uh, night, and that was to pay play more jazz, less rock and roll. Hmm. Uh, to dress more conservatively, although we were just, you know, dressed in what we, we didn't have stage clothing, you know, or anything. And, um, you know, they just on and on and on. David couldn't throw his gong off. And we, we went on and we, we did our show and we looked at each other and we said, screw them. We're going to play some rock and roll. And we played great. And we played just everything that they didn't want us to do. We did. And because of that, the audience went nuts over it. The audience just flipped out, and the uh, the government sent dogs out on the guards and dogs, police and dogs out on the people. Wow. They wouldn't let us film it, and they tried to confiscate the film. Um, but uh, the the film crew was smart enough to put the they they put the the, the, the film the exposed film into cardboard boxes and told the uh, police that uh, there were seatbelts, and we got it on the on the plane and got out of there. Wow, that's Mission Impossible stuff. It was, it was, yeah, it was pretty, that's why the film is so fabulous. It was pretty scary. So if you just joined us now, we're speaking with Steve Katz, who's going to be at the Guard Theater in New London. Uh, the screening is 7.30 uh, Tuesday the 16th. And there'll be a little performance afterwards and a, and a Q&A, I guess, with someone from the New London Day. Can you talk about your plans for the evening itself? Well, I, I, I don't know who I'm doing the Q&A with, uh, but uh, Steve Siegel is going to be sitting in with me on fiddle for one song, I believe. I'm just going to play a few songs and mainly sure. talk about the, uh, uh, the film, because the film is a couple of hours long, and then, then I'm going to come and, and uh, I'll try to talk fast so people can get home early and go to sleep, so I'll just play a few songs, you know. Okay, that was Steve Katz talking about his appearance at uh, the Guard Theater coming up next Tuesday. Once again, that's going to be May 16th at 7.30. I had a long interview with Steve today on WECS, and this was just a segment that focused on this incredible documentary. I hope you got the idea from what I could share today about how amazing it is to see this footage from 1970 across Europe at the band. It should be a good experience. I, I'm definitely going to be there, and I hope some of you that are Blood, Sweat, and Tears fans, because you'll see this band live at their best in 1970 on footage in a way you never have before. So let people know about that. A couple more quick things while I have time speaking of the Vietnam War. The Art Center East is continuing its drama, Private Wars. We had those folks on here a couple of weeks ago, the director and cast. It's about Vietnam War veterans recuperating in, a, in an Army veterans hospital. I saw it last Friday night, and it was wonderful black box theater. And the acting, when, and uh, of course the writing was great. It's won many awards. But the acting was excellent, as was the lighting and the music. And they have two more performances on May 12th and 13th of Private Wars, and if you go to artcentereast.org, you'll get all the information about tickets, but that's coming up this weekend. One more quick thing, too. Uh, at the Packing House on May 13th is the Leela Sir Quartet doing some jazz. And a very big one that I'm very happy to share that we talked to Christine Ullman about very recently. On May 27th, we're going to have the Shabu reunion. David Foster and the Shabu All-Stars with Christine Ullman and the Uptown Horns. That will be at 8 o'clock on Saturday, May 27th. Gates will open at 4 o'clock. They're going to have a special polka band concert at 5 with Dennis Politsky and the Maestro's Men. That's at 5 o'clock. And then, of course, the Shabu All-Stars 
Christine Oldman and the Uptown Horns, downtown Willimantic, May 27th. I'll be there as well. Hopefully some of you can make it too. It should be a great day. And thanks, David Foster, for all you do with your music to help our community. So that's it. My time is out for this week. Thanks very much for sharing some of your life on the radio. We'll see you next week here on The Homefront. Take care.